Okay, Chuck Wilson, New Hope Community Church. And here we go. Going to finish the book of Revelation, the prophecy series. Going to finish it just in time for my birthday. A couple, two days I turned 60. So I want to get it done before I turn 60. Got too old to preach anymore. Uh, so this has been 15 months back when the pandemic the pandemic started uh, 15 months ago. We are now finishing up with 82 sermons. We did Mark 13, Matthew 24, the book of Daniel, and now the book of Revelation. And we're just finishing it up now, 82 sermons later. Uh, my son Matthew did four of those on the millennial, amillennial, premillennial, postmillennial. He did that too. But if you listen to all 82, let me know because there are big money prizes. Big money prizes. And I want to encourage you to send this to your family, your friends and family. Uh, especially those who aren't saved, send this series to them and say, in case of in case I disappear, there's a rapture, break the glass, listen to these. Hopefully they'll listen before that and they'll go with you. Uh, but we, the, the whole focus of this is making sense of our crazy world. Making sense of our crazy world. Are you ready for what is coming? What is coming our way? That's been our focus here. And at the end of all the craziness that we've seen in the book of Revelation, at the end of all the craziness, what is coming our way is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is headed our way. Are you ready? Are you ready as a Christian? Are we living pure and holy lives? Uh, uh, maybe you're not a Christian yet. Are you ready for Jesus coming up? You need to put your faith in Him and be ready for when He comes so that He's your Savior and not your judge. Are we ready? And that's the title for today. Jesus Christ, I'll be back. I'll be back. Revelation 22. And speaking of I'll be back, that reminds me of the when I was in the Philippines 10 years ago, well, 11 years ago now, 11 years ago in the Philippines, and I remember taking a picture at, on Corregidor with jo General MacArthur's statue when he said, I shall return, and I'm standing right next to him, my hand, I'll be back. And I did go back. I went back 10 years later. Uh, General MacArthur came back several years later. Uh, he also came back. Very exciting how he came back and helped free the Philippines and, and all, but Far, far more exciting is Jesus is coming back. And he made that promise several thousand years ago. And it's getting closer and closer by the second. It's unbelievable. He's getting ready to come back again. Uh, Revelation 22 starts out off, though, with a, a more description of the new heaven and the new earth and what that will be like. Verse 16 is the final description, as we'll see. But let's start with prayer. Father, we thank you for bringing us through these last 15 months of all that we've faced in our lives, in our country, in our world. Lord, I just pray that this would be the, the frosting on the cake, the, the encouragement, the hope that we have that Jesus, your son, is coming back again for us. We can't wait for that day. <laughs> we hope it's today. Father, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Revelation 22. Well, I'm going to start with the first six verses, which once again starts talking, goes back and talking about the new heaven and the new earth. Verse 20, 20, chapter 21, verse, chapter 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent His angels to show His servants the things that must soon take place soon take place. Okay, so we see verse 1. Once again, the river of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Uh, so we see the, the, the river of life. It's totally pure. There's no pollution in heaven. Uh, reminds me of there's a spring right here in Solbury. Solbury is called Ingham Springs. It's going to be a, a, it is a park. They're making it into a great park now. There's going to be hiking trails and, and all kinds of things. And I was in there while they were working on it. Uh, 
you don't know about this, but I was actually in there. I found arrowheads. I'm allowed to t say it now. I wasn't allowed to say it then because I would have shut everything down. found arrowheads. Uh, I found a, a, a glass candlestick, really old. I don't even know. Um, you know, it's very, very interesting. found this glass candlestick in there in the creek right by the spring. So I'd love to, if someone could tell me how old that is and what, what, you know, what it is and all. Lots of cool stuff here. But the real treasure of the spring the real treasure of Ingham Springs is the spring. The spring. Uh, I got a picture here with the kids. We go up over there a lot. It's amazing spring. It's amazingly pure. There was a huge in Indian tribe lived there, uh, camped out there, lived there. That's why the arrowheads and all the different stuff there. Just beautiful. It has a huge output. It's amazing. I can't remember how many gallons it pumps out a, a minute, but it's crazy amount of water just pouring out. It's cold. It's clear. I take the kids. You can see the picture. Take the kids hiking there. You know, they we wade around in the creek and and on a hot day, we just, you can drink it. It's so clean. You can drink that water. And I remember one time I was it was really hot. It was over 100 degrees, and I remember going over there, and that water is freezing. But I didn't care. I just went right under that water and just let it pour on my head. It felt glorious, glorious. I remember thinking glorious. It was like heaven. Uh, and that's what the river of life coming out of uh, the throne of God. That's what this is like. Only times a gazillion it's going to be it's nothing the, the ingham springs is nothing compared to that massive river that flows from god's throne and on each side of the river stood verse two stood down the middle of the great street of the city on each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit yielding its fruit every month and the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations the tree of life remember in genesis there in the, in the garden, there was a, a tree of life, but because of sin, Adam and Eve lost access to that tree in the Garden of Eden, and because of that, death came to the human race because of that. And now it's going to be restored. It will bring healing. Literally, it means health-giving, health-giving. Uh, there will be no death in heaven, so obviously this is going to be the ultimate health food. It's going to totally rejuvenate us spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally, completely rejuven rejuvenate us. And look at it, it's a perpetual crop every month. It's There's a, a new crop. Uh, it's a perpetual crop on the farm. Oh, it's uh, June right now and it'll be cherry season. Oh, I love cherry season. My favorite. Uh, on my birthday, I'd climb up into the cherry tree out right outside of my bedroom window. I'd climb up into that tree and just eat cherries all day. Oh, I just loved it. Loved cherry season. But after a few weeks... They were gone. Then you had to wait for berries. And then we picked the berries. Then you had to wait for the apples. And then you had to wait for, you know, we always had to wait for something else, the grapes. Uh, and, and, but it was so exciting. But, but my cherries disappeared. But here they will, the, there will always be something. There will always be the, the, that, that fruit of life that we can have access to all the time. It will always be available. And because of that, there will be no curse. Look at verse three. No curse. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and the servants will be, and His servants will serve Him. His servants will serve Him. There will be no curse. The moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the moment you say, God, I repent of my sin, please forgive me. I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I give my life to Him. The moment you pray that prayer of faith, the curse is broken in your life. That very second, that breaks, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, it breaks the power of the curse. Then we have to battle lifelong to reverse the curse. Because even though the curse is broken, Satan's still trying to attack. He's still trying to neutralize us. He's still trying to tempt us, trying to knock us down, tries to get us to take that curse back up again. So we have to fight for the rest of our life. It's a long, lifelong battle to reverse the to reverse the, the, the effects of the curse in our life. I remember talking uh, to Bill Simon when he turned 80. He's gone into heaven now. He's with the Lord. But he was a missionary in the Philippines. He was here. He helped plant our church. He helped do a lot of things. Just an amazing guy. But I remember a group of us younger pastors were sitting around talking to him one time. I think it was a breakfast. And we were like, Bill, when does temptation stop? You know, we're always battling our temptations as young pastors. He goes, when does temptation stop, Bill? When did you break it? And he's like, well, I'm, I'm 80. I'll never forget. He goes, I'm 80 now. I'll let you know when it stops. <laughs> it's 
like, it was great. I, that was encouraging. Even Bill struggled. Even we considered him like a saint. Even Bill struggled. We, but that, it's a lifelong battle till you stop breathing. We're going to fight. We have to fight. But at least now we have the ability to fight by God's grace. Before you're a Christian, you have no ability. You're a prisoner of war. You're a zombie. You are just following Satan and the world and sin. But now that we're Christians, yeah, we still struggle, but at least we can struggle. At least we can fight. At least we can battle. We see, yeah, we get knocked down, but we can get back up again. We keep on fighting by God's grace. But when we get to heaven, it's going to be completely broken. Completely broken. It's done. Uh, It's completed. That's the good news. That's the great news here at the end of the book of Revelation. The day is coming where there will be no more temptation. There will be no more sickness. No more death. No more tears, no more fears, no more war. The reverse, the curse will be reversed. Jesus has come, come and reverse the curse. And it's, look why it's broken. It's broken because in verses 3 and 4, uh, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. The, 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 the curse is broken. All, all this good stuff has happened because the curse is broken because we will actually live with God the Father and with the Lamb. We will live with both of them. We will serve Him. Look at it says we will serve Him. You don't go to heaven and play on a harp on a cloud. No, no, no. We're going to be busy. Uh, we're going to be serving Him. There's no retirement in heaven. We're going to be serving Him, but it will be fulfilling. We'll be fulfilling God's purpose for our life for eternity. We're going to serve Him and we're going to see Him face to face. And the sin the sin that broke the relationship. The sin broke our relationship, but now that's done away with. Sin broke the relationship between us and God. Adam and Eve, a wall went up. A spiritual wall went up between us and broke that relationship. And that's what sin does. I remember when I was a kid, when I was little, uh, and I remember when I, if I did something wrong and I knew I was going to get a spanking for it, I remember I, if I, got, I would get nervous and I remember I would go in and lock myself in our bathroom. Uh, I'd go in and I'd go into the bathroom. I'd lock the door and my mom would come and like, look, where, Chucky, where are you? And, you know, why are you doing in there? And I'm like, oh, I did something wrong. I remember one time I, my parents, I, they had these balloons, helium balloons. I can't remember why we had them, but there was something going on. We had the helium balloons and, and my mom says, now don't take them outside. You'll lose them. And what did I do? She shouldn't have said it. Put it in my head. It's my mom's fault. <laughs> so I took the balloons. I went outside. Sure enough, I lost grip and they floated away. <laughs> so I locked myself in the bathroom and I did this several many times like myself and so they took the door the lock off the door they finally had to do that because of me and and i remember my mom saying what i let the balloons go or i did this or i did that and i know dad's gonna spank me and i just it, i can already feel it it already hurts it's like i already got spanked i remember seeing I was like four or five. I don't. I remember saying that. I, I feel like I've already been spanked. I already suffered enough. And you know, I, yeah, okay. Anyway, and so my and I remember my mom would you know would mediate you know, uh, and she would say, okay, listen, I'll talk to your dad. I just want you to come out and I'll talk to you now. Make sure he doesn't spank you this time. Uh, but next time I probably got double to make up for it. But. But I'll make sure he doesn't spank you today. Tomorrow he got me. Uh, so, uh, but come on out. So I'd come out and everything was okay. We were, we were reconnected. I remember telling our, my kids that story some years ago when they were younger and, and Becca was there. Becca was younger at the time. I don't know if she's 10. I remember telling them that story and I remember Becca just shaking her and said, Dad, you must have been really bad when you were a kid. <laughs> We all have been. We all have a wall. We have a door. We are locked between us and God. But Jesus has broken that down. He broke it down. Ephesians 2.14 tells us when He broke that down. In Ephesians 2.14 it says, For He Himself in our is our peace. I'm sorry, for one eye again. I'm, I'm getting there. A couple more months. Six more weeks. They might talk about the surgery. For He Himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier. The dividing wall of hostility. That's what Jesus did. He, he destroyed the barrier. He destroyed the dividing wall of hostility. That's what Jesus 
did for us. He did it by his death on the cross, by paying for our sin. By bring, We can now have a relationship with God his Father through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus has done for us. And also, we see not only is there no more curse, but we also see in verse 5, Revelation 22, verse 5, we see something else. It says here, There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. There will be no more light night because God will be our light in heaven. God will be our light and it will never, it will be 24 hours a day. God, I was just reading, a, uh, I remember saving this article. Get this, golf 24 hours a day. Located some 50 miles south of the Arctic Circle, the new green zone golf course in Finland and Sweden, it, it border, it's on the border, should be surreal enough for any golfer in search of unique playing conditions. Straddling the border between the two countries, this northern outpost of the game enjoys constant daylight in the summer months, making 24-hour golf possible. That would be heaven for some of you, right? <laughs> but play can take on a strange chronological proportions. Finland and Sweden are in different time zones and a modest 15-foot putt from the finish to the Swedish side of the sixth green will technically roll backward in time. For non-Scandinavians, the experience is made even more unusual by the requirement that they carry a borderline passport with them at all times as a slice and hook back and forth across the fairways. Crazy, huh? But 24 hours, you can play golf, and that'd be heaven for some people. But that's what heaven is going to be like. It's going to be constant sunlight. We're not going to need sleep any longer. Uh, also, it says we're going to reign with him. Verse 5, we just saw that. We're going to reign with him. We were supposed to reign here on earth. Adam and Eve were supposed to be the king and queen of the planet earth. But because of their sin, they forfeited the planet temporarily to Satan's power and he became the ruler of this this age, the ruler of the air. Uh, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. He has he had, had, was given temporary power because they forfeited their power. But the second Adam, Jesus Christ, came and reversed the curse by his death on the cross, by his resurrection from the dead. He reversed that curse and now he's made it possible for us to start taking back this planet. And when he comes again, the second coming, we are going to reign as we were intended to reign. We're going to reign over this planet, the millennium, thousand years, but then there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and we're going to reign with him. What does it mean we're going to reign with him? Uh, new heaven, new earth, but maybe we'll get our own planet. You never know. We'll get our own planet uh, based on our faithfulness. Some of you will get a, a, a big one, you know, one of the bigger ones. Mm, I'm going to get Saturn, bigger one. Some of you are going to get Pluto, which isn't even a real planet because we aren't faithful. We don't we get little Pluto, you know, a fake planet. <clears throat> but not like the not. But I'm not talking about. I'm, I'm just kind of joking around with the planets. Who knows what we'll have? But it won't be like what the Mormons think. The Mormons think that they're all little gods and they're going to get their own planet and then they're going to repopulate that planet <clears throat> with all their wives. That's why they wanted to have more wives initially. Uh, we made that illegal in the U.S. But they're still hoping they're going to multiple wives so they can repopulate their planet quickly just like Jehovah did on our planet. Did you know that? God was just, just like us one time. He grew into a God and now he's been given this planet. Lies. You know, <laughs> unbelievable. That, that's so ignorant. And Jesus even said it in Mark 12, 24. Jesus replied, Are you not in error because you not know the scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, they, neither be, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. But we are, there's not going to be any marriage. There's not gonna, we're, we're not gonna be married. We're all gonna be one big happy family up there. And, uh, we're gonna be like the angels in heaven. Yeah, we'll know who our wife and husband, our spouse was. We'll know that. But, but we're gonna have, always have a special bond, obviously. But the, the, we're all gonna be married to the Lamb. We're gonna be married to the Lamb, okay? Once again, just shows you the, the unbiblical thinking, the ignorance, the, the delusion, the lies of the cults, like the Mormons. Uh, okay, so then verse 6, the, the angel, back to Revelation 
22. And I say that because some people think, well, the Mormons are just another denomination. It's like Lutheran. It's like Episcopal. Well, it is like them. But uh, it's like uh, not all. There's Missouri Synod Lutherans. We still have a few Christians out there. But uh, Episcopal, you got to go over to, to the African Episcopal movement. The church is under that. But anyway, that's all free. Uh, but, but Mormons are a cult. They don't worship the same Jesus. They invented their own Jesus. He was the brother of Satan. He, he, you know, God was just a man and grew into deity. You know, it, that is a cult. That is not a Christian denomination. Don't fall for the lie. They have to work their way to salvation. Not, not faith. It's works. Uh, enough said. Alright, so verse 6, though. The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. The angel says it's for real. It's true. I believe that if we could see, and it's going to happen soon, I believe that if we could see heaven for one second, which we've been given a glimpse of here in chapter 22, if we could really see it for one second, it would change the way that we live. Uh, same thing if we could see hell for one second. That would change the way that we live, the way that we think. We would never cry at a funeral again if we could see heaven for one second. Well, yeah, we would cry. We'd be crying because, God, why did you take me too? I want to go to heaven. That's why we would cry at a funeral, not because we're sad for someone who's gone to heaven. Uh, it, we, if we could just see for one second and I, there's a Jewish parable that I held on to that I never forgot and listen to this Jewish parable it just gives you a picture of what it would be like if we could really see heaven um, uh, here's the parable ancient Jewish parable about two twin babies lying together in the womb one believes that the world there is a world beyond the womb where people walk upright where there are mountains and skies and a sky oceans and a sky filled with stars. The other can barely contain his contempt for such foolish ideas. So one baby believes there's something out there and the other one thinks the womb is it. <clears throat> Suddenly the believing baby is forced through the birth canal, leaving behind the only way of life he has known. The re remaining baby is saddened, convinced that a great catastrophe has befallen his companion. Outside the womb, however, the parents are rejoicing for what the remaining brother left behind has just witnessed is not death, but birth. And that is a picture of what heaven is going to be like and how we can look forward to that someday. And, and, and just as that baby inside the, the womb who didn't believe in it was left in darkness and doesn't realize what they're missing out on, that's what people who don't believe in Heaven or hell are going to be in for the shock of their life and what they're missing out on, okay? Alright, so, um, ver oh, so now we come to verses 7 to 21. And I guess I'll just read them one at a time. And this is the I'll be back part. This is Jesus coming back again. Verse 7. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. I am coming soon. The word soon there doesn't mean like Tomorrow, it means suddenly. The idea is suddenly. It could be any time. But it, but it means Jesus said, I'm coming suddenly. God wants us to live expectantly like Jesus could return. The imminent return of Jesus Christ. It could happen any time. He wants us to live like that. And that's why he doesn't tell us when it's coming. He just gives us hints and signs and things to watch for and the birth pains. But it could happen any time. In every generation since Jesus, even the, the apostles, the disciples, New Testament thought he was coming back right away in their lifetime. Everybody, we, we even now, we think it's going to be soon. And I do believe it's going to be soon. We're right this time. But, <laughs> but, but that's how he wants us to live. He wants us to be expectant of his anytime return. That's how we should be living. That's how we should be expecting. Uh, I know when Kim and I, when we uh, would go out on dates, especially when the kids were younger and one of the older kids was watching the younger, one, younger ones and they'd call us. Kim would be there. We'd be out. We'd finally get to go out. We didn't get to go out very much back in the day. It took about 20 years to finally be able to go on regular dates because of all you know the kids. But, um, but I remember... I remember finally the kids were old enough to watch them and we finally could get out on a, a regular basis. And, but they would, they would inevitably call and say, Mom, when are you coming home? You know, and what's going on? Oh, this one's fighting and this one just did that and this one just broke this. And, uh, and, and so they'd say, when are you coming home? And she'd say, soon. So then they'd hand the phone to the next one. When are you coming home? Soon. Why did she, well, we weren't coming home for another hour, but she wanted them to think she was coming soon. She still does it. Alright? Uh, and so, it, it, coming soon, and then he says, blessed are the ones who keep 
his words. Verse 7, I'm going to read it again. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. The, the, the blessing, we see the word blessed means happy, but it doesn't mean the shallow happiness. It means a deep-seated joy that we have if we keep the words. Revelation begins, remember back when we started Revelation? Revelation begins with a promise, and now it ends with a promise of blessing, of true happiness, of blessing. It's amazing how many people I know avoid the book of Revelation. Oh, it's too scary. Or I have even had, heard clergy, oh, it's too gloomy. I'm like, Pfft. You know, maybe for you, pal. I'm looking forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. Uh, it, you know, it's it's crazy how many avoid Revelation, but Revelation begins and ends with a promise of happiness. And there are more promises in the book of Revelation than any other book in the Bible. So if you're avoiding it, you're missing out on a lot of promises. And and the the, the greatest promise is happiness. And it begins and ends with happiness, blessing. If, if you keep the words of Revelation, it promises us if we keep it, if we live it, we're going to be blessed. We're going to be happy, just like the Beatitudes. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. They're talking about real happiness, true happiness. And the converse is also true. If we don't keep the words of Revelation, if we don't hang on to them, we're not going to be happy. We're not going to be blessed. We're not going to have peace. We're not going to have joy. Are you in God's Word? Are you living the Word? That is the only way to true peace and happiness, the true blessing, true happiness. It's not the shallow world happiness you get from drinking a a, a drink or you know smoking a joint or taking one of those gummy CBD gummies you know please please I hope you're not falling for that deception I hope that you're looking to the word of God for your happiness and the blessing that's the only way to get it then it then it look what happens in verse 8 and I John I John am the one who heard and saw these things the apostle John and when I heard, heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said, <clears throat> do not do it. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and the prophets and of all who keep the words of this book. Worship God. So the angel says, don't worship me. Worship God. God alone. Proof again, once again, of the deity of Jesus Christ. This angel would not let himself be worshipped. But, but Jesus never said, don't worship me. He never said, don't pray to me. He never said that. In fact, when Doubting Thomas finally sees Jesus in John 20, 28 and 29, the Apostle John wrote that that gospel also. <clears throat> when he finally sees Jesus, he had doubted, he doubted, he finally sees Jesus. And what did he said? He said, uh, uh, then Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. He calls him my Lord and my God, right to Jesus' face. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus said, confirmed what he said, that he is Thomas's Lord and God, and he's our Lord and our God. And that's, that just once again reaffirms the deity of Jesus Christ. We're also going to see that in verse 13, where Jesus has the same titles as God the Father. Uh, so then the angels says, don't worship him. And then verse 10 and 11, let's look at the next thing. Verse 10 and 11, he gives uh, the Apostle John a very interesting command. Then he told them, do not, do not, Seal up the words of this prophecy and this book because the time is near. Let him who does wrong... Uh, I might hold on to that one. Ten. Well, um, uh, I'm going to hold on to that one just a minute. Wait, where did I go with that one? I want to come back to that. Uh, well, I'm going to read it. Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. And let him who is holy continue to be holy. And we'll come back to that whole difference in a few few verses from. I'm going to save that. But let him, uh, verse, do not seal up the words of this prophecy of this book because the time is near. Interesting that he says, don't seal up this prophecy. Interesting because remember when we did Daniel? Remember when we were in Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, when we ended the book of Daniel? Here at the end of the book of Revelation, he tells him not to seal up the prophecy. But in Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, he says, But you, Daniel, close up and seal the words. Close up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase in knowledge. So he tells Daniel thousands of years, you know, thousands of years before, 
not thousands of years, uh, 600 years before, he tells, before the time of Christ, 700 years before Apostle John is writing this, he, he tells him to seal it up because the time of the end is not here. But now he says it's time to open it up and don't seal it up. Why? Because the, the, this is the time of the end. Daniel's time was not the end yet. There were still mysteries that were not revealed that are now finally being revealed here in the book of Revelation. The mystery of the cross and the resurrection is now in, in, the, in the rear view mirror. It's already happened. Daniel was looking forward to it. The cross and the resurrection, well, we talked about that in Daniel, but now it's in the past. The mystery of the cross is fulfilled. Daniel's prophecies have now been fulfilled here in Revelation and now there's no more mystery. Now it's like, here it is, it's open. The time of the end is here that Daniel was said to wait for that time. That time is now here in the book of Revelation. I believe it's here now today and now we can see exactly what to expect coming. And then Jesus, and then the, 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 the best part of what's coming is in verses 12 and 13, chapter 22, 12 and 13, where he says, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus taking on the divine titles of his Father here. And, and he says, I'm coming soon. He's coming soon and he has rewards with him. He's going to reward us based on how we have lived. We, we're not saved by, by works, but we're saved by faith, but we then are required to work. We're saved so that we can work. God gives us salvation, but he pays us for our works. Zane Hodges said that. I'm just trying to read this here. God gives us salvation, but pays us for our works. You want a real pension? You want a real retirement? You better save it. Treasures in heaven. Uh, listen, there's not going to the stock, not the stock market, not Bitcoin, not a house, not any, not cars that are going to rust away. No, no, no. Treasures in heaven. That's where our rewards will be if we live for God. Everything we do for God is a, is accumulating a treasure in heaven for us. Everything we don't do for God, gone, will be gone someday. And then we see verses 14 to 7. We see the 17, the blessings again, where he says, Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside of the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Jesus, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the church. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come and let him who said, and let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Wow. We see the blessings again. Who is blessed? Who is happy? Those who have washed their robes. How are they washed? In the blood of Jesus Christ, in the blood of the Lamb. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ and ask Him to forgive our sin, we put our faith in the death on the cross, the blood of Jesus Christ washes us. And then He talks about not just the, uh, talks about not just the, the robes wash, but also drinking the water, the water of life. We've talked about that. The moment you put, uh, Jesus said, I am the, the, the water of life. Remember he claimed in, in John chapter 8, come and drink from me. He's talking about putting, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, that is a picture of drinking the water of life and receiving the Holy Spirit and that is what, that's a picture of have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you had your, your sin washed away? Have you received the, the water of life, the Holy Spirit filling you. Have you received that? That happens the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ. But there's also a warning in verse 15. We need to look at this. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Listen, there's a warning here. Not everyone is going into heaven. There's a thinking in America today. Oh, we're all going to go to heaven. As long as you believe in a higher power. As long as you believe, pray to something or someone. As, you know, as long as you're good. You know, good. You know, none of us are bad enough to go to hell. Listen to Oprah. She says we're all going to heaven, right? Uh, and there's this, there, listen, not, this is a lie. Not everyone who thinks they're going to heaven is going to heaven. Look at what it says here. 
Look what it says here. But there, we have been deceived in the United States today. And, and deceived. First, Paul said the same thing in 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. through 11. He says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, there it is again, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor the thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindles, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. If we are living those lives, Anything on that list, we are not getting into heaven. I'm not talking about struggling, tempted. I'm not talking about tempted towards something of that. I'm not talking about struggling and fighting it tooth and nail, depending on God's mercy and grace to fight and, and, and fighting. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about someone who says, uh uh, that's what I am. You picked anything on that list, that's what I am. That's my identity. That's who I am. God made me this way. God likes me this way. This is who I am. And and God's good with that. My Jesus is good with that. Well, you've got the wrong Jesus, pal. You are deceived. You are going to hell if that's your if that's your view. I'm not saying if we struggle, I'm not saying if we have battles in our life. I'm not talking I'm talking about someone who says unrepentantly this is who I am. Anything on that list? No, no, no. You are going to hell. You will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. But it doesn't have to be that way because look what Jesus says here. Look what Paul says, what Jesus did for us. That is what some of you were. It's what we all were. We were all everything on that list. Everything on that list. But you were washed. You were sanctified. Washed. Robes washed clean. Sanctified. It means to be set apart. Justified. Just as if I never sinned. By the Spirit of you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ and receive the Holy Spirit, we are justified just as if we never sinned. And now we can fight those temptations. Now we can fight that sin. We can fight that battle. And by the by, to our last breath, we can fight, fight, fight. And we'll see a progressive sanctification because we've been sanctified. And we're going to see a progressive sanctification. Not about perfection. It's about progress. Sanctification by God's mercy and grace. Have have you been deceived? Do you think you can live this way, unrepentantly live that way, and call yourself a Christian, or you're going to be okay when you get to heaven somehow? No, don't fall for the lie. That has to be what you were. You must be justified by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. That has to happen. Don't. This is the last chapter of Revelation. There's a warning we, that should scare us. Listen, <clears throat> the world lies. You, you know, there's this whole big thing right now uh, in the news about the bishops, U.S. bishops are getting together to determine can they keep, not give communion to someone who believes it's okay to kill a baby, a politician who, who supports the killing of babies, uh, abortion it's called, and, 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 and fight and, and, and does all they can to make that accessible, make it possible to kill our million babies a year in the United States just alone. And, and so the bishops were getting together and they, they, about half the bishops who are, thankfully courageous, they said, we're not, we don't think these politicians, and you know who I'm talking about, there's lots of them, uh, that who, who support abortion and won't, they could stop, we could be done with abortion yesterday in this country if these Christian Catholic politicians would, uh, would, would do what they should be done. But no, no, they're fakes, they're frauds. And so because of that, the bishops say you can't have communion because communion is for someone who has put their faith in Jesus Christ and doesn't have unconfessed sin. And they say that's sin. But look what happened. The Pope comes along and says, you can't tell the U.S. bishops, you can't block anybody from the communion table for their abortion stance, for supporting abortion, because that's just a single issue. Okay, what if it was slavery? You're telling me the Pope would say that was okay? They could still go to communion? Or let's say it was pedophilia. They, they were helping children be sexually abused. We won't go there. But the, uh, but what if it was, you know, raping women, you know? You're telling me the Pope would say, oh, it's okay. I, even though the president thinks it's okay to rape women, uh, or, you know, or to sexually abuse children, he can still go to the communion table. Or the Speaker of the House can still go to the communion table. Or all these 
Uh, we're not gonna, you connect the dots. You can do it. You can do it. You've been through this. Alright? These people are not Christians. Are you kidding me? What is this? They, they are not, they, you, they can't go to the communion table, but just because they do doesn't mean they're in communion with Jesus. Oh no, they're, they're not in communion with Jesus. The Pope's apostate. These, the, the half the bishops are apostate and all those politicians that are pro-choice are apostate and they are not in communion with Jesus Christ. They are not going to get into heaven someday unless they repent. God will forgive them. God will forgive you right now, Mr. President, if you'll repent and ask for forgiveness. He will wash away the blood of all those babies that are on your hands. He will wash it away this very second. You will be justified just as if you never sinned. But unless you repent, you will. You are going to hell. The Pope is going to hell. This Pope, this apostate Pope is going to hell. These, 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 anybody who thinks it's okay to kill babies and supports that is going to hell. How do I know that? Because the book of Revelation just told us that. The, nor, the, nor, the, the murderers, the murderers going to hell. There's no communion. You can go take communion, but you are not in communion. But Jesus is waiting to forgive. He's waiting to forgive you as a mother or father. He's waiting to forgive a doctor, abortion doctor. He's waiting to forgive someone who's been voting pro-choice, pro-abortion all these years and is, is, is now hearing what I'm saying. He's, he's waiting to justify just as if we've never sinned. He's waiting to forgive anyone, even the president, even these politicians who have abortion on their hands. King Manasseh, God forgave King Manasseh even though he sacrificed all those children. The blood flowed through Jerusalem. God forgave him when he repented. God will forgive us, but if we won't for we repent, if we will not repent, there is no forgiveness. There is no heaven. There is no communion. You're, you're, you're under a delusion and you're going to be in the, for the shock of your life. And I'm talking to Everyone there. Every, you just heard what I said. Everyone there. It, it, listen, it, it, the murderers, the murderers, outside of the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Pro-choice. Talk about falsehood. If you are pro-choice, you cannot be a child of God. It's impossible. The Holy Spirit cannot be in you if you think it's okay to kill a baby. It's impossible. And I hope that you hear me. I hope that you respond to the love of Jesus Christ. I hope you respond and say, that's what I was. But I am now washed and justified. If you just say, God, I repent of all of our sins. All of our sins. If we will repent, God will forgive us. We will be justified. Justified. And then he gives another warning here in verse 18. In verse 18, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes the words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. In this book. Another warning. Don't add and don't subtract from God's word. The canon is complete. Genesis through Revelation. It's there. Don't touch it. Don't try to interject something. Don't try to take something away. Deuteronomy 4.2. Warning at the beginning with the Pentateuch. With when God said, Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it, but keep the words of Lord your God that I command you. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. That when I, there's a book called So What's the Difference? Talking about all the different cults in world religions. And you know what the cults do? Great book. I encourage you to get it and read it and study it. But, <clears throat> so what's the difference? Franz Niedenhauer or something like that. Excellent book. Uh, but the cults all add something to the Bible. Or they subtract something from the Bible. That's what they do. They don't change everything. They just add a little bit or they take away a little bit. Whether it's the Mormons or the Jehovah Witnesses, although they have their own books. You know, the Mormon uh, Bible and, and all, they have their own. But most cults will just change a little bit, take a little bit, do hermeneutical, uh, uh, theological backflips on something. Uh, or, <clears throat> listen, all additional inspired writings, the Book of Mormon, uh, the, the, 
Jehovah Witness Bible, all of them, they subtract from Jesus Christ. They subtract from God's Word. They subtract from Jesus Christ. They say He was just a teacher. He was just a man. He was a God, not the God, but a God. That's what they do. And, and that is dangerous. When you touch the Word of God, when you touch what the Word of God says, when you t- subtract from Jesus Christ or add something in the flesh, dangerous, dangerous ground. You're under a, a severe curse here. Even some Christian groups do this. Even some Christian groups. You may come from a, 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 a Christian tradition, whether it's Roman Catholic or Protestant. And, and Roman Catholics and Protestants do this. They'll take tradition and pile it on top and say the tradition is equal to God's Word. No! You've just added something. And many of the traditions that Roman Catholics and Protestants follow uh, go against God's Word. So what have you done? You've just subtracted something. No, no. Everything you've ever been taught. I'm talking to, to Roman Catholics. I'm talking to Protestants. I'm talking to everybody. Everything you've ever been taught, you better take it and take it to God's Word and compare it to God's word to make sure, and if it goes against God's word, then mm, and one of the main ones that both Roman Catholics and Protestant groups, uh, not all, not all, but but many Roman Catholics and many Protestant groups do now is they mess with salvation. They teach us salvation by works. They teach us salvation by jumping through religious hoops. You know, by getting baptized and christened and 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 doing this and doing that some some religious hoop that you have to jump through in order to to be saved when the bible is very clear we are saved by faith alone in christ alone there's nothing we can do for it is by grace you are saved through faith and this not from yourselves it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. There's not one thing you can do for your salvation. Not one thing. If you add one work to your salvation by faith, it's no longer faith. It's something else. Romans 11, 6, and if by grace, and it's no longer by works, if it were grace, would no longer be grace. It, it's it, You can't add anything to salvation. It, it's faith alone in Christ alone. And I see, I, I'm scared when I see people adding traditions I'm and both sides of the aisle adding traditions that contradict, especially when they contradict salvation itself. Very dangerous. Listen, don't listen to me. Read the Word of God. Read it. Compare everything I say to the Word of God. Everything must go through the Word of God. That has to be happened. And even today, even in evangelical circles, I see a lot of evangelical pastors, friends of mine, used to be friends of mine, uh, they, they, they believe the Word of God completely. Completely believe the Word of God, but they don't preach it. They leave things out because they don't want to offend somebody. They don't want to upset somebody. They know that maybe the Less people will come to church. Less people will give money. They're, you know, they're gonna, they, they just want to be liked by everybody. And, be, and what does that make them? That makes them false teachers. Not not because they don't believe. They believe the Word of God exactly as they believe it. But they're functional false teachers. They're leaving things out. And boo, I don't want to stand before God ever and have God say, you left something out. People's blood would be on our hands. Like Paul said, I'm innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. He didn't hold anything back. He was not afraid. He preached the full word and he had no blood on his hands. But there's a lot of evangelical pastors that have a lot of blood on their hands. They're functional false teachers. And then uh, then we cut... Okay, enough of that. Verse 20. Here we go. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. <laughs> Woo! Here we go. For the third time, Jesus says, I'll be back. I'm coming soon. And the response... Uh, in the response, Amen, come Lord Jesus. Yes, I am coming soon. Amen, come Lord Jesus. That's what we should be praying every day. Amen, come Lord Jesus. And then verse 21, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with us. Amen. Grace has the final word. I'm giving you all these warnings. I'm preaching prophetically, I'm preaching God's word, but I, but grace, I'm doing it because I hope it breaks us, brings us to our knees, and we get grace. We're ready for Jesus to come back again, and we can receive his grace. Grace has the last word in God's word. Grace has the last word. Are you ready? Are you ready? Amen. Come Lord Jesus. Are we ready? Are we ready? Are we 
anxious for his return? Are we looking forward to that? Or are we more, fo- more focused on worldly things? Oh, well, Jesus, yeah, I want you to come, but just wait till my team wins the World Series. Some of you Philadelphia fans are going to wait a long time. All right, uh, let's just wait till my team wins the Super Bowl. Let's wait till I finish couch. Wait till I get married. Wait till I can have kids. Wait till I have grandchildren. You know, let, just wait till I accomplish this or that. A lot of us live like that. We think like that. We're not focused on Jesus coming again. We're focused on the worldly things. Would we be, if he came right now, and he could come right now for us, would we be happy or would we be ashamed? Would there, is there something in our life that we're not ready for Jesus to come again? Uh, something in our life that we haven't been obedient about and, and done what he's called us to do or get rid of something in our life that we need to get well, how would, are we looking forward to that have you put your faith in Jesus if you haven't put your faith in Jesus when Je- if Jesus came right this moment he would come as your judge not your savior but it can change right now by putting your faith in Jesus have you put your faith in Jesus have you done that do you have the blessings that Revelation promises us? Do you have the hope that is promised in Revelation? That's what this book is all about. No matter what you are going through in your life, we can have hope. We can have peace. No matter what the world is going through. The world's going crazy. People are, this, this pandemic, people are going nuts over it. Wait till something real happens. Wait till it's a true pandemic. Wait till you see how crazy things get. When we have a mild one, wait till it, wait till it, wait, just wait. <laughs> we saw what's coming. You know, no matter what the world is going through, we shouldn't be like the world. We shouldn't be freaking out. We have hope in Jesus Christ. We know God is in control. That's what this is all about. God is in control. He's in control of my life, my daily life. He's in control of my eternal life. I can't die until he says it's time to go. He's in control of my eternal life. I can trust him. No matter what I'm going through, I know he has a purpose, a reason. He's allowing this for a reason. I can trust him. I, we, I can have, be blessed no matter what trial, what tribulation I'm facing, I can still live in blessing, in true happiness, true joy, true peace. We can have this. One of the best examples of this I've ever seen, and I'm just going to read this one to you. It's so touching. Charlie Colson, the Christian Drummer Boy, by Dr. M.L. Rosevalli. He, it was, it's a true story. Um, I'm just going to read it. This is, this is a doctor who wrote it. I was a surgeon in the United States Army during the Civil War. After the Battle of Gettysburg, there were hundreds of wounded soldiers in my hospital. Many were wounded so severely that a leg or arm or sometimes both needed to be amputated. One of these was a boy who had only been in the service for three months. Since he was too young to be a soldier, he had enlisted as a drummer. When my assistant came to give him chloroform before his amputation, he turned his head and refused it. When they... When they told him that it was a doctor's orders, he said, send the doctor to me. I came to his bedside and said, young man, why do you refuse the chloroform? When I found you on the battlefield, you were so far gone that I almost didn't bother to pick you up. But I didn't want to see you die on that field. I thought of your mother and I didn't want to see you die in the field, a young teenager. So I had you brought here, but you've lost so much blood that you're just too weak to live through the operation without chloroform. You'd better let me give you some. I never get through reading this. I'm just going to read it. He laid his hand on mine, looked me in the face and said, Doctor, one Sunday afternoon when I was nine, I gave my heart to Christ. I learned to trust him then and I've been trusting him ever since. I know I can trust him now. He is my strength. He will support me while you amputate my arm and leg. I asked him if he would... So the doctor started asking him if he would at least let me give him a little brandy. Again, he looked at me and said, Doctor, when I was about five years old, my mother knelt down by my side with her arms around me and said, Charlie, I'm praying to Jesus that you will never even take one drink of alcohol. Your father died a drunkard, and I've asked God to use you to warn people against the dangers of drinking and to encourage them to love and serve God. I am now 17 years old, and I've never had anything... <clears throat> stronger than tea or coffee. <clears throat> Nothing stronger than tea or coffee. Um, 
there is very good chance that I'm about to die and go into the presence of my God. Would you send me there with brandy on my breath? I will never forget the look that the boy gave me. At that time, I hated Jesus. But I respected that boy's loyalty to his Savior. And when I saw how he loved and trusted him to the very end, something deeply touched my heart and I did for that boy what I never did for any other soldier. I asked him if he wanted to see the chaplain. The chaplain came and knew the boy well from having seen him frequently at the tent prayer meetings. Taking his hand, he said, Charlie, I'm really sorry for to see you like this. Oh, I'm all right, Charlie answered. The doctor offered me chloroform, but I told him I didn't want it. Then he wanted to give me brandy, which I didn't want either. So now if my Savior calls me, I can go to him in my right mind. You might die, Charlie, said the chaplain. And if the Lord does call you home, is there anything I could do for you after you are gone. Chaplain, please reach under my pillow and take my little Bible. My mother's address is inside. Please send it to her and write a letter for me. Tell her that since I left home, I have never let a single day pass. No matter if we were on the march, on the battlefield, or in the hospital. Without reading a portion of God's word, and daily praying that he would bless her. Do we do that with our Bibles? Then turning to me, he said, I'm ready, doctor. I promise I won't even groan while you take off my arm and my leg if you don't offer me the chloroform. I promise, but I didn't have the courage to take the knife in my hand without first going to the next room and having some brandy myself. (laughs) While cutting through the flesh, Charlie Colson never groaned. But when I took the saw to separate the bone, the lad took the corner of his pillow in his mouth. And all, all I could hear him whisper was, Oh, Jesus. Blessed Jesus, stand by me now. He kept his promise. He never groaned. I couldn't sleep that night. All I could remember were the words, Blessed Jesus. Every time I closed my eyes, Blessed Jesus, stand by me now. Kept ringing in my ears. A little after midnight, I finally left my bed and visited the hospital, a thing I'd never done before unless there was some emergency. And I and there were lots of soldiers that I'd operated on were dying, and I was afraid Charlie was one of them. He was dead, but he was still alive, still alive. Um, I'm trying to see my writing here. Uh, he was still alive. Was Charlie one of them? No. He said he's sleeping as sweetly as a baby. They told him. Five days after I performed the operation, Charlie sent for me, and it was from him that I heard my first gospel sermon. Doctor, he said, my time has come. I do not expect to see another sunrise. I want to thank you with all my heart for your kindness to me. I know that you are Jewish and that you don't believe in Jesus. But I want you to stay with me and see me die trusting my Savior to the last moment of my life. I tried to stay, but I just couldn't. I didn't have the courage to stand by and see a Christian boy die rejoicing. In the love of that Jesus who I hated. So I hurriedly left the room. About 20 minutes later, an orderly came and found me sitting in my office with my hands covering my face. He told me that Charlie wanted to see me. I've just seen him, I answered, and I can't see him again. But doctor, he said he must see you once more before he dies. So I made up my mind to go and see Charlie. Say an endearing word and let him die. However, I was determined that nothing he could say could influence me in the least as far as Jesus was concerned. When I entered the hospital, I saw him sinking fast, so I sat down by his bed, asking me to take his hands. He said, Doctor, I love you because you are a Jew. 
The best friend I have found in this world was a Jew. I asked him who that was and he answered, Jesus Christ. And I want to introduce you to him before I die. Will you promise me, doctor, that what I'm about to say to you, you will never forget. I promised and he said, five days ago while you amputated my arm and leg, I prayed to the Lord Jesus and asked him to make you make his love known to you. Those words went deep in my heart. I couldn't understand how when I had been causing him the most intense pain he could forget all about himself and think of nothing but his Savior and my unconverted soul. All I could say to him was, Well, dear my dear boy, you will soon be all right. With these words, I left him, and 12 minutes later, he fell asleep safe in the arms of Jesus. That dying boy's word made a deep impression upon me. I was rich at that time so far as money was concerned, but I would have given every penny I possessed if I could have felt toward Christ as Charlie did. But that feeling could not be bought with money. Alas, I soon forgot all about my Christian little soldier's little sermon, but I could not forget the boy himself. Looking back... I now know that I was under deep conviction of sin at that time. But for nearly ten years, I fought against Christ with all the hatred I had. Until finally the boy's dear prayer was answered, I surrendered my life to the love of Jesus. About a year and a half after my conversion, I went to a prayer meeting one evening in Brooklyn. It was one of those meetings where Christians testify about the loving kindness of God. After several had spoken, an elderly lady stood up and said, Dear friends, this may be the last time I have to chance to publicly share the good how good the Lord has been to me. My doctor told me yesterday my right lung is nearly gone and my left lung is failing fast. So at best, I only have a short time to be with you. But what is left of me belongs to Jesus. It's a great joy to know that I shall soon be with my son. And Jesus in heaven. Charlie was not only a soldier for his country, but also a soldier for Christ. He was wounded at the Battle of Gettysburg and was cared for by a Jewish doctor. who amputated his arm and leg. He died five days after the operation. The chaplain of the regiment wrote me a letter and sent me my boy's Bible. I was told that in his dying hour, my Charlie sent for the Jewish doctor and said to him, Doctor, before I die, I wish to tell you that five days ago, you, while you amputated my arm and leg, I prayed to the Lord Jesus Christ for you. As I heard this lady speak, I just couldn't sit still, left my seat, ran across the room, taking her hand, said, God bless you, my dear sister. Your boy's prayer has been heard and answered. I am the Jewish doctor that Charlie prayed for, and his Savior is now my Savior. The love of Jesus has won my soul. Wow. Do you have that hope? Do you have that peace? That joy, that blessing, that happiness. No matter what we are facing, we can have it. Through Jesus Christ. That's what the book of Revelation is all about. That's what Charlie the drummer boy lived out. Do you want that hope? Maybe you're not a Christian yet. Do you want that hope? You can have it now by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. You can be forgiven. You can have your relationship restored with God the Father through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. You can believe in Him now. And as Christians, are we living out that hope? Have, are we reversing the curse? It's lifelong. It takes a battle. You might need help. You might need a Christian counselor. You need to talk to a pastor. You need, you need counseling. You need books. You need friends. You need accountability. Yeah, but are we making everyday count? Are we fighting that battle? Are we making, are we focusing on every relationship? How we can reach them for Jesus Christ, just like this drummer boy? Let's pray. How is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? Are we living for Jesus Christ? Are we experiencing that peace and blessing and joy 
Is that our focus, just like this drummer boy, and talking about tribulation? No matter what tribulation, are we, can we say, God, I want to know Jesus. I want to trust Jesus. I want Jesus to use me. I want Jesus to fulfill his purpose in my life. I want him to glorify himself. I want him to fulfill his will for me. No matter what I have to go through and who I have to touch, even people causing me pain, Lord, use me. And while we're praying about that, maybe maybe you have never put your faith in Jesus. Maybe you're like that Jewish doctor who has fought against God, who hates Jesus. You've lived in hate of Jesus, but the Holy Spirit is touching your heart, breaking your heart, convicting you, calling you to surrender your life to Jesus now. He loves us, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus can be coming, Jesus is coming back. He can either come back for you as your judge or as your Savior. You can make sure that right now the prayer of faith, the prayer of faith, God, I repent of my sin. I turn away from my sin because I'm putting my faith in Jesus. I'm asking you to forgive me because I'm putting my faith in Jesus. His death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, I put my faith in him. I give my life to him. I want your Holy Spirit in me. I pray that every person who is hearing this, watching this, whenever it is, whether it's today, tomorrow, 10 years from now, I pray that you will put your faith in Jesus, knowing true blessings, true happiness, eternal life that starts the moment you do it. Father, I pray for that, that person who's listening to this right now for their salvation. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. If you have put your faith in Jesus, testify. Tell somebody, tell a friend, family member, someone who's been praying for you. You know, testify. Call someone. Let them know. Let me know. NHCC at Comcast.net. I'll encourage you. I'll help you get connected. Let somebody know. But I pray that I'll see each of you in heaven someday. We'll be with Jesus, whether it's here, there, or in the air. God bless.